legendary films and TV shows. Or just pure shit. The legendary host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. Sovereign at the movies. Again, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if it's picked up, uh, though some movies are doing some very interesting numbers. For example, Mortal Kombat, uh, even in theaters, to say nothing of the fact that they uh, that, that movie was released when it was released stateside. It's already been available in other territories um, for some time. But when it was released in, in North America, shall we say, uh, it got a double bill, you know, it, or not, not a double bill is usually when you end up with two movies, but in this case, it wasn't two movies. It was two platforms. It was both in cinemas as well as available, uh, on HBO max as part of the deal that Warner brothers, um, has done throughout this year, which is going to land us a lot of interesting films throughout 2021. Um, including the matrix four come December, which originally that was supposed to get released concurrently with, with the new John wick movie that didn't happen, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, the golden stallion man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, Dr. Brian sovereign, uh, here for you with, uh, something I'm going to title sovereign movies. Uh, and I'm titling it that, and there's going to be more of these, um, basically until we pick up. Uh, the regular Sovereign Tech Prime episodes in mid-May, um, there have been quite a few flicks uh, that I have caught uh, or that Ellen and I have caught. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to get the reviews out instead of waiting until, uh, you know, Prime episodes pick back up. Um, and we're continually going through the Ultimate series and so on. I figured we'd do a little Sovereign at the Movies. Uh, now, this is one where uh, I'll be flying solo on it. Uh, but Sovereign Tech in its decade, uh, 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 run. I, I, I think people loved, <laughs> I mean, they lo- I feel like a lot of people loved a lot of things about sovereign tech, but as much as they enjoyed the tech news or perhaps the, uh, the historical perspectives, um, the, or, you know, the strange or say the philosophy, even, uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed my views on TV shows and movies and my reviews thereof. Um, and I mean, so this isn't anything new for sovereign tech. We've talked about movies a lot. In fact, I mean, and this used to be a huge deal. Okay. Uh, you know, back like, you know, five, six years ago, uh, back when, you know, a, a new star Wars movie actually meant something like it, like, like there was worth giving a damn over not anymore, but <laughs> when it was, uh, I used to dedicate half of an episode of Sovereign Tech uh, to reviewing uh, the new Star Wars movie. And I generally do that on my own. Um, and you have to understand that at the time, like that was risky for me to do because, yeah, okay, I dedicate what, you know, is known as the climax or pick of the week or whatever. I, I you know, I would dedicate that or I dedicate maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes at the end of an episode to talk about something pop culture. Um, so that was a bit of a risk on my part, but then they ended up being wildly popular to the point that I would end up doing an entire star Wars show. And of course, Rob and I, uh, now do that. Uh, you know, we do the duties with, uh, with tie fighter renegades, which is uh, also exceptionally popular, um, in the sovereign tech feed. And now again, I don't know how common these are going to be. Uh, this would generally fall under like a Zomi one underground episode. I used to do these back when there was uh, paywalled content. There is no longer any paywalled content. There has not been any paywalled content for some time. Um, 
but I would review uh, like the DC animated movies. I mean, you know what you're going to get. You know, I'm a sci-fi fan. You know, I'm into the fantasy and basically genre films in general. And of course, most of you know, either from uh, <laughs> what are considered legendary or epic rants, uh, know of my, well, other legendary, my legendary Blu-ray and DVD collection, <laughs> uh, which gets uh, talked about here and there. But bottom line being that uh, movies, cinema, um, and really all forms, all mediums of entertainment um, are part of the DNA of Sovereign Tech, of what makes it the podcast that it is, the popular podcast uh, that it has been for, you know, going on a decade now. So with that said, um, I guess we'll, we could kind of call this inaugural, even though, again, I've dedicated entire episodes, uh, especially like bonus episodes, sort of like this. I've dedicated them to entire movies in the past, nothing new, but this is sovereign at the movies. Um, actually, if, if you remember, uh, boy, this is a couple of years ago when Ellen and I did a, a pretty epic, a review series of the original Batman films with, uh, with Michael Keaton and then Val Kilmer. And then we don't want to talk about George Clooney, but uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we covered that. I mean, so again, not new, uh, but you know, figure, give it a tagline since there's quite a few of these that I really want to get in. Um, and some of them, I, you know, I'd love to have Ellen on as well, uh, you know, to give her take because she, as she does, she sees things that often I just miss or has perspectives um, that I'm, I'm just always, you know, it's, it's a jaw dropper, you know, that, that we walk away from, or there's a weakness say in the content that we're taking in. And man, whenever she's, she, Ellen, whenever she sees a weakness in anything, I mean, she just puts a sword through that fucker in no time. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing anyway, but I am here for this one alone. Um, and that is for the movie, um, which just ended up coming out in theaters. It did not get a concurrent release, but it also didn't take long for it to get, you know, basically a home video release, whatever that ended up being on. Of course, you know, I torrented the movie uh, <laughs> again. You know, you want to say, Oh, I can't believe you're pirating. Did I not just mention my legendary epic Blu-ray and DVD collection. I mean, I can't count the discs. <laughs> you understand? And those are bought. Okay. Uh, and, and it gets added to all the time. Um, I recently added, uh, and this is going to end up being another episode. Um, wonder woman, 1984. And, hmm, <laughs> well, I feel no qualms around this, not just because I have, you know, zero sense of morality, but also because Hollywood has made more money off of me than uh, I can't imagine. There are many more people on the planet outside of actual producers, you know, and financiers uh, that they could have made more money off of in, especially in my lifetime, you know, counting everything. I mean, I used to go to the movies literally every single weekend or every, every free moment that I had. Uh, and, you know, again, I wasn't sneaking into those films. Okay. Maybe I snuck into some, you know, but that was to impress maybe, well, eh. We're not, those are other stories for another time. But frankly, um, if I had, uh, you know, if, if, if the movie that I torrented, if I watch it and I love it, I'm going to buy it. If I think it's a great movie, I want the Blu-ray for posterity because you can't trust it being available. I mean, you know, torrents do what they do, but you know, people stop seeding over time often enough. Uh, also, you know, you can't count on it being on streaming services or who the fuck knows the streaming service might end up putting up a whole different version that gets rid of something considered controversial. And then you'll never see perhaps the great version of it again. For example, real quick, this was a movie that was very hard for me to get my hands on. And you wouldn't think it'd be hard. You think, oh, well, it's gotta be on Blu-ray. Oh, it's gotta be on 4k. Why, you know, why not just like upscale it and, and toss it on that, that shitty medium. Uh, that being 4k Blu-ray is fine. Of course you can listen to episodes of sovereign tech to hear me talk about 4k, uh, and the bullshit around that. But, um, the 2003 feature film version of daredevil with Ben Affleck. Uh, here's the thing. You can get the director's cut of that, which came out, I don't know, a year or so after maybe a couple of years after. 
You can get the director's cut of that movie easy, cheap, no problem. Uh, you can get it on Blu-ray. I think it might even be available on 4K. Uh, and you can get, you know, you can get it on DVD, obviously. I mean, you can get it wherever. Here's the thing. And and, and I know when, when you, if you go to like review sites, and this is, I guess, where part of my uniqueness comes in with a lot of different things, because I really don't agree with critics, but I also don't agree with audiences most of the time either. I am the third way. Woo. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everybody says, oh, well, well, all right. So that movie sucked. I, I don't agree that Daredevil sucked. I actually saw that in theaters back in the day. Um, It's like, oh, that movie sucked. But with the director's cut, which went was straight to video, was like a re-release on DVD at the time. Uh, that was that was actually pretty good. Uh, I totally disagree. I think the director's cut ruined the film. Um, I, I thought that the particularly like the scene in the rain where, um, you know, Ben Affleck, of course, as Matt Murdock, which, uh, you know, he did a good job. And then, you know, I guess kind of unsurprisingly, he did a pretty good job as Batman, too. Uh, you know, there was a time where those two comic book characters were compared. But anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're, you know, Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock uh, sees and is playing against Jennifer Garner as Electra, which she did great. Um, you know, at the time she was, you know, big deal with Alias and everything. Uh, another uh, and actually a great show, uh, <laughs> despite J.J. Abrams involvement. But when he sees Electra in the rain, you know, very touching, beautiful moment. And, you know, then they go back and, and they make love and like where she's feeling his scars and everything. Another touching, beautiful moment, something that makes sense. All that got completely cut out of, I mean, arguably like, the you know, the most emotional part of like the film and a really core part of the film, I think, uh, was totally ripped out of the director's cut. And here's the thing. You can't, the only medium other than, I mean, maybe it's on VHS because it was only 03, but the only medium you can get the original version of that film is on its original 2003 release on DVD. When I bought the DVD, when I found the DVD, it was still shrink wrapped probably because there's just so many of these things. Cause again, for whatever reason, people thought that movie sucked. I mean, you're crazy. Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin is easily the best presentation of Kingpin. Shut up. I don't want to hear about the fucking Netflix series. You're, you're full of crap. That's crap. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan was totally believable and legit because Kingpin is literally larger than life in the comic books. I mean, he's just that big, right? And you can only get a guy like Michael Clark Duncan to make it believable and to make him, you know, feel street and everything like a real tough guy. That's the kind of guy you needed. And you believed it. He delivered. He was dynamite in that. Love Michael Clark Duncan. Actually, I think he's a tremendous actor and, you know, overall or was, you know, but when I got that DVD in the mail <laughs> and I, and I, I ripped open the shrink wrap, I swear I was smelling 2003 air. Like the air smelled different, smelled different when I opened that baby up, you know? <laughs> and I mean, I couldn't even find like really used copy probably because nobody held on to it. And I'm just, I'm baffled by this because it was a, great, great goddamn movie. Um, but this is my point is that, you know, the, if a movie is great, I want it on disc because you never know when you're never going to be able to get it again or see it in a certain way, even ever again, the director's cut in that usually a director's cut, just add scenes. It generally doesn't take much away. Maybe it's just editing a little bit, but this ripped out entire core scenes from the film. Fucking horrible. So this is why it's a big deal for me. And, 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 and Hey, oh, and before you say, well, Stallion, this is why I tore it. This is why I get digital files. Good luck. You think I didn't try to find the original version of that online on the torn sites? And you think I didn't check like 20 of them? It ain't there. Maybe you'll find it. And I couldn't, but on my rounds, I couldn't find shit or at least nothing that's seeded. So you can't even really count on torrents, but we are not here to talk about daredevil. <laughs> I mean, I could give a full review of that. Actually, Ellen enjoys that movie too. We, we could both do a review of it. Maybe we did a little review of it at one point when she was on an episode of sovereign tech prime, but regardless, we're here to talk about the movie, the 2021 film got delayed, ended up coming out April 9th. That being voyagers, uh, nothing to do with of course the Kate Mulgrew led star Trek series. 
Of course, it has an S at the end, and it sure as hell is in Star Trek. Um, this is a film by... I feel like there are a few directors, writers, writer-directors, like that'll do both, that can often... I, I don't know. There's just like those few out there that seem to be able to get away with whatever weird ass shit they want to make. And they'll even get a good budget. For example, Christopher Nolan, right? Um, I would actually count Neil Berger who made Voyagers in that number as well. Maybe others would be like Alex Garland, Darren Aronofsky, uh, Denise Villeneuve kind of gets to make his own shit, but these guys like somehow they can get big budgets and yet still like they don't have to make a Marvel film, basically like they don't have to make a predictable piece of shit. Um, you know, they, they can make something that has subtlety, uh, a lot of metaphor and a lot of strangeness. Now, I mean, this used to be back when, you know, the entertainment industry was full of, uh, uh, you know, truly dumb money. And I, and I actually say that in a good way. Uh, you know, you used to be able to get away with this too. And then a lot more often, a lot more directors got to take the risk. Um, I mean, fuck, that's how we ended up with star Wars. Um, but ever since the, uh, how should I, how should I describe this? The dumb money that thinks it's smart. See, it used to be just dumb money, right? Now in the entertainment industry, it's dumb money that thinks it's smart, but it's not really smart. Um, you know, you, like you, you very rarely get films like this. Everything's very predictable. Everything's well, not everything, but a lot of stuff is a lot of shit is just shit, except for maybe in the horror industry. But outside of that, everything feels the same or like a rehash or a reboot or whatever. Anyway, Voyagers, I mean, I, I want to give it credit. First off, Neil Berger's work in general, his writing and directing like the illusionist. Awesome. Limitless dynamite film. Love that movie interview with an assassin. I mean, just like Neil Berger does good, thoughtful, clever shit. Uh, that doesn't always go the way you expect. Certainly with the illusionist, uh, you know, being one of those cases. Suffice it to say, I get excited when I hear about a new Neil Berger film. Um, granted, you know, <laughs> the Divergent series, nah, but you know, even the greats have their shitty moments. You know, Paul W.S. Anderson has Pompeii. There it is. Even though, you know, so many of his other films are absolutely fucking phenomenal from, you know, Mortal Kombat to Death Race to, uh, you know, the Resident Evil movies and so on. And yes, I will be getting in a review of Monster Hunter very soon. In fact, I might even record it after I record this. Moving on. So Neil Berger wrote and directed uh, Voyagers. And this is a film. I'm not 100% sure what the what the budget was um, on it. It's a film that very clearly, it, it's a science fiction film that very clearly didn't need a huge budget. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with a very low budget today. Uh, I know in theaters it didn't, I mean, again, it was supposed to come out in November of 2020. They bumped it, you know, COVID-19. I didn't expect it to do great in theaters. Um, even if, you know, we didn't have the year that was 2020, I don't know that this movie would have done great numbers. Uh, but we'll talk about why. To be clear, I'm, regardless of how I feel about this film, the one thing I absolutely love about it is that it's an original property, meaning, you know, it's not, it's not based off of some other franchise. It's a new science fiction film. I am so fucking happy about that. Like, I, I mean that, that excites me to no end. Um, I mean, and then, you know, again, attach Neil Berger to it and you've got me hooked. I'm dying to see it. Okay. But I'm a little sad that it didn't do numbers, you know, that it didn't do an impressive number or didn't do impressive numbers overall, impressive sales. Because I feel like every time some director, even a, even a very good one or, you know, writer, director, whatever, uh, like Neil Berger. Or say the Wachowskis, right, with Jupiter Ascending, awesome movie. Uh, when those movies underperform. I feel like that's sending a signal to Hollywood to not make original properties, you know, to go back 
look at the catalog. Okay. What can we rehash? What can we reboot? What can we attach? What can we make a stupid sequel to men in black, whatever international, whatever the fuck that was. I mean, so there's a part of me that wants to support, you know, films like this, regardless of how they turn out, just because somehow I want the signal sent. No fucking please. Can we get new movies? Right. I mean, give me a new movie series, you know, even if it doesn't end up being a movie series, but it's one great movie that leads to, I don't know, direct to, uh, direct to video, quote unquote, even though that's not exactly a thing, whatever, however that takes shape today, you know, uh, direct to streaming, I don't know. Uh, or if it, you know, lands a, a CGI cartoon or something, I mean, you know, picture it. <laughs> I, I can't imagine a world, you know, feel how you want about starship troopers, but how fortunate we are that we ended up with, uh, okay. I mean, starship troopers two and three, maybe not the greatest films ever, but the fucking, the two animated, uh, uh, movies after starship troopers two and three phenomenal roughnecks, right? The, the, the CGI cartoon roughnecks amazing. I mean, fucking amazing cartoon just dynamite. So, you know, that, that's what I'm saying is that I, and I know Starship Troopers obviously was based off a of Robert Heinlein book based <laughs> loosely. Okay. I'm just saying that even if I don't get a full film series for fuck's sake, even, even if it's just one great film, give me the one great film, or even if it ends up creating, you know, crossing into transmedia and creating something else that just becomes brilliant. Awesome. I'll take it. For example, uh, the first Batman film, and I don't mean the one that actually I was referencing earlier, and I, I don't mean, you know, the one with Adam West, even though that's brilliant, but Tim Burton's first Batman film from 1989, um, that was a risk, big risk, big money, big risk. It paid off, but it didn't just pay off as, as a, uh, you know, as like showing, okay, no comic book movies can actually do money and, and let's, let's try this some more, you know? Uh, even though the modern comic book film really wouldn't start until say X-Men, you know, almost 10 years later. Uh, I mean, not 10 years. Well, it's about 10 years. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But without the 89 Batman film, here's what we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have Batman, the animated series. That's a fact of life. And you can cover just about any, or you can go over any list you want of greatest cartoons in history. And almost every single one of them will rank Batman, the animated series as the greatest cartoon of all time. Now I wouldn't give it that rank, but I, I wouldn't argue it either. And I completely understand and would accept it, you know, and I do accept it when I see it at the top of the list. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's predictable, but it deserves it. Well, let's be clear about that. So it, it's when the risky shit happens, you know, that, that exciting things can come out of that. Even if the movie tanks in theaters or if it doesn't tank, um, and maybe it doesn't continue on very well, which some people would argue that the 89 Batman's the only good Batman movie, uh, or at least up until, you know, Christopher Nolan takes over. Um, I disagree with that completely, but I know there are people who think that way. Well, still, okay. Maybe you feel like you got some shitty films, but you got a fucking amazing cartoon series out of that slap nuts. So original properties are incredibly important, even if they don't lead to, you know, a franchise like we would expect. All of this is to say, <laughs> We've got all that theory and, and, uh, and, and concept work down. All of this is to say is that I'm glad Voyagers exists at the same time. This movie's horrible. <laughs> this movie's so fucking bad. It's there's not a goddamn thing redeeming about it. Nothing other than it is, you know, it was a risk that they took and I'm glad they took the risk. And the marketing around this movie didn't help a damn thing. Um, certainly I had heard about it. I knew that it was coming. Um, and ev everything that was kind of like building around it, that was supposed to like sort of get you to watch it. And even, you know, I read some reviews ahead of time and most of the reviews that I've read were not favorable. Okay. Um, I don't really agree with a lot of the reviews and I'll explain why. So don't think that my review is somehow colored by them or that I went into the movie, uh, you know, thinking it was bad for the reasons that they say bad, because actually like a, a lot of how these reviews describe this film, I'm watching the movie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> like, 
The cast is sexy. What? Like, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm more, a bit more than an armchair historian. Um, and, 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 you know, I can, I can understand the ideas of conventional attractiveness in guys and gals. And, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like this is, <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I don't, I absolutely do not get the sex appeal here at all. Like I didn't pick up an ounce of it. Um, there are scenes that are like kind of sex scenes. I mean, you don't see any, you never see any nudity in the film. Um, which the, the poster for the damn film makes it seem like the whole damn thing's going to be a sex scene and you, you know, and, and everybody's going to be nude or something on the spaceship, but that's not the case. Uh, also, um, there seem to be in the marketing and in the reviews, like a lot of hints about like it, it exploring polyamory, you know, um, I mean, there is, I guess, one gal who you see get with a couple guys, and there's a point where you see one of the leads of the film, one of the lead males of the film, um, laying down. Everybody's fully clothed, but they're all laying down like on a mattress, and there's like a bunch of gals kind of around them, but they're not even touched them. They're not even close. Uh, you know, the idea that somehow, be, I mean, again, just look at the poster. Go ahead and look at the poster for this film, okay? That says nothing about this movie. I mean, like that, that, that is one of the biggest cases of false advertising I've ever seen or even watched the trailer. Nothing, nothing like the movie. This is supposedly, again, a movie just replete with sex appeal. And it's just, it, and it, you know, it's supposed to be a sexy film and it's just not there. None of it is there. And it's not because I'm old. Like I said, I can, I, or, all right, maybe it is because like, I just cannot grok. The, what people find sexy today. Like, I just can't understand that. And everything's up to, you know, everybody's different. Everything's up to taste. But, you know, again, a, a film is, even with somebody like Neil Berger, is kind of meant to, you know, appeal to a certain crowd. And, I mean, I guess some of these actors are kind of big names, which we'll talk about them uh, when we get into that. But let's talk a little bit about the plot here so that you understand. Basically, uh, it's your it's your classic... <laughs> and. <laughs> because we, we, we've seen this a few too many times, sometimes done better than others. It's a classic, oh, the earth is shitting itself, or the humans are fucking it up, whatever. We got to go, we got to go. <laughs> we got Humanity's got to go somewhere else. We, we got we to plant our seed somewhere, I mean, our, our flag, uh, some, somewhere else. And, um, I mean, that, that, you know, how many movies have played with that? Uh, again, some have done it okay. Like, you know, the 98 lost in space, right? With William Hurt, Mimi Rogers, Heather Graham. Awesome movie. I'm not kidding. Awesome movie. And that was basically the premise. Uh, and that, that I mean, I'm to this day, I'm disappointed that that never got made into, you know, anything further, that that never took the franchise further, that that never, I, I mean, and, and no, the Netflix show is horrible. Um, but that, you know, just never did anything. And, and that's disappointing, you know? And maybe, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe just that kind of a movie just doesn't, doesn't appeal to anybody. Even TV series don't seem to really appeal to anybody when they have that kind of storyline, right? Like earth two, which was a, a good shot at this. In fact, boy, if you want to watch something great where the premise is, yeah, we fucked up the earth. So we got to go settle, you know, another planet earth two is might even be the best of the bunch. Uh, as far as, you know, uh, content media that, that, that covers that, 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 you know, that premise. I, what a great TV series, man. Uh, that, that fortunately or unfortunately, I should say, didn't get to go anywhere. Um, I think NBC was spending, you know, so much money on Sequest that they just, they couldn't support another big budget show. Um, which I mean, <laughs> let me be clear about that. If I have to have more Sequest or earth two, uh, give me more sequest, but for what it was, earth two was great. I mean, come on, you got Tim Curry and the Kurgan. <laughs> what more do you want? So anyway, um, yeah, this, this, this film was, was, was not, but that's the premise. And so they're creating a multi-generational ship, um, where there's going to be three generations. It's going to take them 86 years with whatever. They don't even bother to talk about what technology they're using to be able to get to another planet. 
in 86 years, you know, that makes it viable. And that's fine because it's not really a story about the technology, but moving along. Um, now on this, so you're going to have a generational ship. That means like they start raising kids on earth uh, and they raise them like in confined quarters. So they don't know what wide open spaces are like that, you know, it's a very controlled environment on earth. And then when they get old enough to where they can actually perform duties on a spaceship, um, they do so. And Colin Farrell is kind of their father figure, you know, sort of a, almost a, a Noah, which I don't think the allusions to that are, well, anyway, you know, I don't think they're accidental. Um, then, you know, they take off and basically, you know, that generation will, or they're going to have kids and then their kids will be the ones that actually, you know, end up more or less colonizing this other planet. Um, now this, this first generation on the ship, um, being stewarded by Colin Farrell's character, uh, I think his name's Rick, he, or Richard, he, um, he, her, this first generation, they are drinking this, this liquid called the blue. And basically what happens is, is that one of the, one of the, the, the kids, I mean, and they're, they're basically like either teenagers or in their twenties, um, when they're going on the ship, uh, discovers that, oh, you know what? The blue has like these classified compounds in it. And then he finds out that these classified compounds are inhibiting their, uh, passions and sex drive basically. So it's making them more docile. And so the lead character or who's kind of the lead character, Christopher, um, he stops drinking it and his buddy, Zach, who discovers all this with him, he stops drinking it as well. Uh, I don't want to go to, there's no need to cover like the entire plot here. Okay. Uh, but basically, you know, what happens is, is that all these young people, um, start to explore, uh, their passions. Okay. Now, ultimately what this ends up being, while I think that just that initial premise that I just described to you could actually go some interesting distances. Like you could do, you could explore the human condition. Uh, you could explore a lot of different concepts within this. Okay. Um, and spoiler alert, and there's going to be spoilers here. Like if, well, what happens is Colin Farrell's character, Richard ends up dying or well, anyway, I will just say that he, he ends up dying. And, you know, instead of, cause basically it turns into a metaphor for the garden of Eden and like, you know, crossed with Lord of the flies. That's really what this film ends up becoming. And that's the problem is that you could have explored some really interesting ideas. You could, you could have explored like, and it kind of explores the nature of authoritarianism, but then its answer is democracy. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, now we just vote for everything. And like you have, you know, you're away from earth. You're you've lost contact uh, with earth, or at least at one stage in the film, you find out that they lose contact with earth, even though it takes them like months to get a message back and forth. Um, you know, you, you don't have any, there, there, there's no, there's no uh, uh, domination structure right over you. So you're free to explore all different kinds of ideas. And they don't like, it just gets wasted. Um, the film is only about an hour and 47 minutes. Look, I'm glad that it's a sub two hour film. Um, look, I don't mind if the film's five hours. Okay. If it needs to be, the problem is a lot of movies, most movies don't need to be over two hours. They just don't need to be that long. Um, this is one that I think was very smart to play it very short. Uh, unless they were going to explore a lot of different areas. Now, if we find out from Neil Berger, Hey, I had a bunch of other shit that I wanted to have in here. Uh, this was supposed to be a three hour opus and we were going to explore, you know, anarchism and, uh, you know, whatever, and like different flavors of that. And we were going to explore communism, Massachusetts Bay, and you're, you're going to play up all these different allegories and everything like, okay, if we find that out, great. And then I feel bad. I feel bad that this film didn't get to, you know, uh, wasn't allowed to go that distance, but bottom line is it didn't, it could have also explored, you know, concepts of love, right? Because they're just, they're, they're just coming into, uh, uh, basically into contact <laughs> with this notion, you know, of, of love, of attraction, you know, of all these things, you could have explored all that. They don't bother. I mean, you, you don't, you really get nothing. It stays incredibly basic turns into very much a Cain and Abel story. 
like I said, mixed in basically with Lord of the Flies. And it's dull and it's boring. I mean, it, and it it's just, it's really a shame because I know Neil Berger can explore some of these crazier ideas, right? Like the movie Limitless, you know, went some distances that like into egoism and some other things I think that were, that were really interesting, even though it did kind of end up stupid with running into politics, but whatever, <laughs> we're not here to review that movie either. I'm just really disappointed that this went so run of the mill and so basic, you know, like saying all oh, the crew, you know, goes into its primal state and like, well, fuck, if you call that primal, you know, that that's awfully fucking tame <laughs> for humans when, uh, especially compared to humans, you know, that or examples that we have of when humans were in uh, uh, perhaps a, a less civilized or developed uh, state as it were. Um, even though that that's getting into, I mean, yeah, like, Question civilization. There's all kinds of things they, they, they could have questioned, but they never do. Or, you know, they could have done, I mean, frankly, Neil Berger, I mean, this would have been predictable too, but he could have done like a neat twist of an ending where he could have made it that, well, actually, you know, because clearly to get to any other planetoid outside of the solar system um, is going to take, would take longer than 86 years, unless you're going like faster than light. Uh, they don't really tell you what planet. I mean, they, they don't get into any of those details. And again, they don't matter. So it's fine. But could have been really interesting if actually what they were doing was playing a little relativity trick. Right. And really what they were doing was was going in a huge circle. But, you know, at a different speed relative to everyone on Earth. And when they get and, and basically when they come back around, it's like 10,000 years later on Earth. And they're here to repopulate a, you know, newly flourished earth. That would have been a nice twist. That would have been very interesting. Um, And especially because, so one of the, kind of one of the mysteries in it, like there's this compartment that is like a a top secret hidden compartment that's not like labeled or listed or whatever that uh, the characters, the lead characters end up finding. And like Colin Farrell's character keeps telling them, oh, it must be for generation three. I don't know what's in there either. Whether or not he knew doesn't really matter. Um, but what's in there are guns like rifles and all kinds of advanced weaponry for whenever they land on the other planet. And then, I mean, that could have ended up being sort of twisted. Like what if they were all given guns to basically fend off the remnants of humanity still on earth or something, you know, or to wipe them out or who knows what the generation three's orders were, uh, which, you know, kind of could have gotten into a Really, you know, I mean, you could have almost turned this into a franchise, not that Neil Berger has. Well, I mean, Neil Berger was an executive producer for the Limitless TV show, but of course that was a uh, limitless turd. (laughs) It was a limitless case of diarrhea, but whatever, it didn't go there. Okay. Um, You basically had, it was might versus right, or, or sorry, might is right versus democracy. That's really all that this film was. And it was just fucking boring. I mean, you, you could have even like, it would have been amazing if like, there are points where when the characters, you know, when, the, when some of the, uh, the gen ones figure out that they're being basically lied to about like what the blue is, um, there are points where they're saying like, you know, why do I have to like save humanity? Why do I have to do this? And, and, oh, if they could have just gone further with that, like something I've brought up on sovereign tech multiple times, I actually did one major episode about it. Um, where we were having a discussion about this very notion that being general or generational ships, right? Um, you know, what is, what are the ethics of basically having kids with such a purpose in mind? Like you're having kids with the purpose of colonizing another planet. Like, no kids should be able to choose what the fuck they want to do. You, you don't have them for like a mission. <laughs> you get what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean that that's ridiculously unethical. Because then you're not having a kid, you're, you're fucking having a little soldier. It would have been awesome if they questioned that, but no, the movie ends off with, Oh, you know, Oh, there's the bright sun around this new planet and yada, yada, yada. You know, everything's up in lights. This was so worth it. This was right. This was good. When I would say generational ships are completely unethical because you are interfering with the very choice and options of the kids on board. Unless, I mean, sure. If the earth, 
just no longer exists. Like it's just done and you've exhausted, you know, all possibilities and everything. But even that is kind of, is, is kind of crap. Right. Um, because we know there are far more habitable, uh, uh, celestial bodies just in our solar system that are far less of a crapshoot than going to Proxima B or wherever, you know, in another solar system. I mean, this is just, it's an ass dumb way to save humanity just is. And again, I would argue outright unethical because I mean, look, you know, and and it could be with the best of intentions, right? Saving humanity. But it's really no different than your parents saying, look, I had you and I raised you to be a doctor. Well, you as their son or daughter or whatever, have the absolute right to say to them, fuck you. I'll be whatever the fuck I want. You're not bringing me into this earth for your bullshit. So, and and there are other, there are other philosophical messages in this film um, that, that are just, that are just a mess. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just, they're just failing arguments. And so this film, it, it's, you know, build is sexy. It's not sexy. Um, it's billed as like, or it's trying to be some kind of a philosophical play. Uh, it fails on all counts, you know, multiple, multiple logical problems. Not only that, I mean, it, it just doesn't really ask the big questions. It doesn't go to the depths, you know, to say that these people are in a primal state bullshit. Yeah, it, it just, it fails in every way that it's trying to be. And, you know, and it's also, again, yeah, great. It's an original par- property, but it's not really original at all. Like there's nothing original about it. It's, it's incredibly formulaic. You know, what's going to happen in the film long before, uh, you know, any of it actually happens. And I mean, the whole morality play around might is right. Like that, that has got to be one of the most tired tropes in, in, in entertainment right now. That is so tired. And also, I mean, (laughs) look, I know a thing or two about real psychological operations. Okay. Uh, From my time in the military, I am reticent to call things a psyop, but like at the very least, certainly this is, you know, it, it all, it all just smacks of propaganda you know, because you're always mixing in might is right. And the individual and all this stuff. And, and it just really, no, (laughs) it's just so basic. And I guess, you know, there's a lot of, you know, like, like the Twitter mobs and other people, maybe it would work on them. And I, and I don't know, I'm not on social media. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there are people on Twitter who somehow have great arguments for why this is an amazing film, but I have not seen one great argument for why this is a great film at all. So that said, let's, uh, let's get into some of the, some of the technicals of the film, shall we? Uh, as in like cast, directing, writing, script, music, effects, all the above. Um, like I said, the movie's about, is under two hours, about an hour and 47. That's a fine length. Fine, fine length. You know, I mean, it, it, it really is because there, there are just, there are too many movies today. Well, actually, all right, we can stop that statement right there. <laughs> there are too many movies today. <laughs> I mean, we can break this into two parts. So there are too many movies today that are over two hours that don't need to be, but also there are too many movies today if you want people to actually be able to, to like want to, if you want to incentivize people to sit down and watch your film, you might want to make it shorter than two hours because there's so many movies today. Who the fuck has the time to watch all this stuff? Right. I mean, I'm fortunate sometimes like, you know, especially when I torrent the film, this is the one disadvantage of having something on disc. Um, sometimes when I torrent a film, I mean, fuck, I'll pop it in VLC and I'll watch it at 1.5 or two X. You know, I ain't got time for this. <laughs> and and if the movie's like that grabbing, it's going to grab me at those speeds. Right. And then I'm going to want it on disc and then I'm going to watch it. Right. You know, and, and I'll, I'll certainly watch it again. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't get the disc. But that was a good move on Neil Berger's part. Um, the script. I mean, again, it's predictable, but, you know, the script, like the dialogue, all that really works. The progression works. Um, and in fact, 
the progression works so well, uh, like that's part of the reason that it's predictable is because like this is pacing that is uh, very natural or at least how we've been conditioned by Hollywood. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not really going to argue against the script other than, you know, just the story itself doesn't go to the really interesting places that it could have gone to. You know, it's not a terrible premise. Again, it's been done many times, but he had, you know, Neil Berger added in a couple elements that could have allowed this film to really get to greatness. And it just never goes there. I mean, it doesn't even get close. So script is fine. Uh, you know, Neil Berger's writing fine for what it is, but again, it's shallow, um, which I hate to say about Neil Berger, but it's there. Um, direction. I mean, you know, I don't have any complaints about like the way that anybody delivers anything or like the editing or anything like that. I mean, Neil Berger's skill is still on display, even if it is tame and, and, and incredibly shallow. Um, but Neil Berger's still there doing it. Uh, the acting, the acting was, I mean, everybody was fine. It's just, you know, when you're billing this movie and this isn't the reason I was watching it either. Okay. Like I said, I was excited that there was a new science fiction property. I'm also kind of excited that there are, you know, new films, you know, coming out of some kind um, and not all of them bad. Believe me, I've watched some of these and some of them are going to get glowing reviews uh, from me. That'll be in more of the sovereign at the movies uh, series. So the actors, I mean, are, are, are fine. You got Johnny Depp's daughter in it, right? Uh, Lily Rose Depp, um, Colin Farrell, you know, he's Colin Farrell. He does what he does. Um, Ty Sheridan. Now this is a guy who, you know, he, he was in ready player one. Um, he played Cyclops in X-Men apocalypse did an okay job there. Uh, I mean, an okay actor, you know, I don't really have any complaints. None of these actors, I don't, I don't really have any complaints for them other than I don't understand who the fuck these reviewers are. And like, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess. I guess like the whole like dark emo, like sullen look is what's called sexy now, which frankly, if that's what's sexy today, that depresses the hell out of me. You know, it's just like, it's that, that, that stupid Romulan brother character on Picard who was just preposterous and meaningless. And we don't even know what the fuck happened to him because that fan fiction's a piece of shit too. Um, sorry, not talking Star Trek here or Kylo Ren, right? I don't get it. (laughs) I don't understand, you know? And look, when a guy is sexy, I'll say it. I have no problem talking about that. I don't understand what everybody gets hot and bothered about with Kylo Ren. Don't get it. Just don't. So I'm baffled. I, I think the cast acted fine, but I'm baffled by this billing of this film, you know, in, in relation to the cast. Moving on. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and there are other actors involved and like I said, everybody did a fine job there, you know, I, I wouldn't take a single point off, uh, for, for acting at all. Music is a whole other story. Music is a place where I absolutely would take a ton of points off. Um, this is by a guy, uh, Trevor Gorekas, who I am not familiar with any of his previous work. Um, just, just dull. <laughs> It's as boring as, as, as the film's, uh, um, uh, philosophy. How about that? Uh, it it really is. It, it, there's no theme. It's just that tonal crap that, you know, really Hans Zimmer and Don Davis kind of put together. Oh man, am I going to have, there's a review coming up where I have words about Hans Zimmer. Look, Hans Zimmer, there was a time when Hans Zimmer was a great composer. I mean, he can compose your ass off. He can make you feel things, can stir you uh, like, you know, few other composers. I mean, that put him in the ranks of Basil Poldori, put him in the ranks of John Williams, put him in the ranks of the greatest of all time, Jerry Goldsmith. But then somewhere along the way, everything he started doing was was just you know, you know, and, and whatever crap. And that's all that this film is. Now I know Don Davis with the matrix score, you know, from back in the day, uh, you know, certainly, you know, he did that where he was trying to get the score past melody, but 
there, there was a point to that as to where with this one, I don't get the point. And it just, it just comes off as like, it's just background noise and, and it's just crap, you know, and there's nothing like it's all cheap sounds. It's almost like horror tricks, just, just cheap sounds to try and heighten some kind of tension. And like, there's, there's nothing stirring here, which also, in my opinion, calls bullshit on its exploration of the human condition, right? Like Nietzsche would say, which I'm sure Berger was trying to put in some like Nietzschean ideas into this. He failed. Um, like Nietzsche would say, you know, music is the ultimate creation of humanity. Now I'd go so far as to argue video games have become that, but uh, you know, as far as artistic works, but you know, I, I also wouldn't argue much with, with, with Nietzsche. I get what he's saying. And so if you're going to explore the human condition, I mean, I, I think, you know, music is such a big part of that to have music be like nothing in the background uh, cheapens the whole damn message. So that I, I take, I mean, you know, if, if we're ranking these things uh, by the numbers, right? Like acting, acting was 10 out of 10. Why? Because there was nothing wrong with it. You know, like absolutely nothing wrong with it. Everybody did what they did. It just, you know, the marketing didn't live up to the actors, whatever. That's fine. But that's not the actors necessarily the actor's fault you know, 10 out of 10 and taste is what taste is. So I guess I shouldn't even care. Um, special effects, special effects were frankly perfect. 10 out of 10 across the board. Again, it wasn't like a special effects extravaganza. It didn't need to be. It shouldn't be because it would have detracted from the, what was trying to be an exploration of the human condition that failed. Uh, it would have detracted from that if we got that part of the story, but it didn't really, you know, come to fruition. So special effects would be 10 out of 10 music, zero out of 10, absolute zero. In fact, this is probably the worst score I've heard since solo, a star Wars story. It's that bad. And yeah, the score for solo was that bad. So that's something that drags the movie down even more um, because music can really save something. Not only save it, music can make something. Um, I, I have a, I have an episode coming where I want to review, um, something that I have been reviewing that being Robotech. Uh, I actually finished the whole series a, a while back and, and, and watched uh, Macross and, and, and everything else. And I've been meaning to do Udon's got some great stuff coming out for it and everything. And look, I'm a guy who <laughs> I literally walk around my wallet here. It's right here. Here's my wallet. You want to hear it? Let's hear this in audio. I'm a guy that walks around with a Shadow Chronicles, Robotech Shadow Chronicles wallet. Okay. And I've had it, you know, I mean, <laughs> Velcro wallet it's from 2007. <laughs> I'm not new to this game. Okay. But let me, let me, let me give you a little, little insight, a little insight on that. What makes Robotech better than its source material? Probably the number one thing. Yeah. I said that about Macross. What makes it better than its source material is the music is otherworldly. <laughs> I mean, like that, that, you know, Opio Munici, he, he did a score that rivals star Wars easy <laughs> and threw in some pop songs to boot that, that just give it all the flair with all due respect to, you know, the tremendous Japanese, uh, uh, producers and artists behind, you know, Macross, um, you know, Carl Masick and Opio, uh, Opio, uh, Minucci. I mean, they, they smoked you. <laughs> they did you better than you. No disrespect whatsoever. And I'll explain more when I get into that, when I do that Robotech episode. Um, but fucking a man. <laughs> and I, and rarely do I say that. I rarely say that where, you know, the American hybrid you know, crap is, is better than the, the source material from Japan. But Robotech is one of the cases where that's true, but I bring it up just to say that that's a case where the music didn't just save it. The music fucking made it. This film might've been at least saved if it had a great score and it didn't it's trash. So, um, moving right along, uh, the editing by Naomi Garrity. I, I mean, it was that like the editing was, was, fine. It was perfect uh, because you, you felt like you got a very complete story. Everything flowed and made sense inside of an hour and 47 minutes. So, you know, 10 out of 10 on that. 
Um, but that's the thing is that, you know, we can give 10 out of 10s on the technicals of a film, but then a film can just completely fall flat, you know, either because it's shallow or it's not self-aware enough or because, I mean, things can be shallow and be great too, right? But then they have to be self-aware that they're shallow. This is not such a case. Um, yeah. So, you know, so many of the technicals minus the music were, were, you know, right there, like they did it. Okay. But the execution of the story and, or the lack of execution, the lack of exploration is really the word I should use. The lack of exploration within the premise of the film just brings it all the way down. Um, I, I mean, there, there's part. So parts of it kind of felt like Annie Ara. In fact, Annie Ara is a movie where also um, the billing for it did not live up to what was in the film. And what I mean by the billing with Annie Ara, which I, uh, I believe Ellen and I both reviewed that in, uh, in, in a sovereign tech prime episode over the past year, Annie Ara is kind of a, kind of similar, not, I mean, yeah, the earth is shit in itself and it's all about this ship, you know, taking a bunch of, you know, earthlings to Mars to live there and get a better life and everything very much the same concept, but then the, the ship ends up going off course and people start reverting to a more primal nature. Now in that movie, they definitely go there. And in that movie, they definitely far more explore, um, you know, like the, the, the human condition, the nature of things like government and other things. I mean, they, in religion, they really go the distance in that film. Um, they, there's other places they could have gone. They don't go, but, they really did a great job into getting into the nature of reality in Annie R. That is a depressing fucking film as to where this one is not depressing. I really feel like this is a cheap knockoff of Annie R. to be, to be frank. So Annie R. um, but that, that was one where the reviewers were talking about, Oh, how, you know, basically, you know, the, the, the crew aboard, uh, you know, on Annie R. they, they end up, you know, starting these sex cults and everything. And, you know, since the reviews spend so much time talking about that, you're kind of expecting the film to have that be sort of a central theme. And it's not there. I mean, it's there, but like, it's only there for a minute. Very similar case with, um, you know, you know, with, 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 uh, with Voyagers here, where that's supposedly the big premise is that everybody's going to get sexy and, you know, it doesn't happen or that's part of the marketing anyway. And that's also what the critics are saying. And I don't know, maybe critics just haven't seen, um, you know, they haven't seen a Russ Meyer film or something I, or a Rob Zombie film. I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just don't understand what, what actually constant, maybe they haven't seen showgirls. I don't know. Maybe, you know, they don't understand what constitutes uh, a movie having like, uh, 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 you know, lust at it or lust at lustful aspects at its core. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the deal. I don't know. But the fact that Annie Ara didn't live up to that hype, here's the thing. Just because if you think that I'm somehow disappointed this movie wasn't, look, I wasn't even watching it for that, uh, <laughs> for the sexiness or anything like that. Before you accuse me of saying, oh, so it didn't live up to the marketing, so that's why you think it sucks overall, even though it might be a good movie. No, no, no. Because Annie Ara didn't live up to it, but I still recognize that, wow, that's a great movie, even though I could, I don't know if I could ever watch it again because it's so goddamn depressing. You know, <laughs> you got people slitting their wrists in that movie. You feel like slitting your wrists after watching that film. And that's not much of an exaggeration. So even when a movie doesn't live up to the marketing, it can still end up being great. This is just not the case. This is not the case with Voyagers. Um, this movie is just flat out terrible. Flat out. Given in a ranking, I don't know, four out of 10 might be generous, you know, like I can't give it a one because technically there are a lot of like very well done things about it. Oh yeah. I'll go four out of 10. I mean, some of like, like the, when they start talking about the alien and you'll know if you watch it, don't, if you watch it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But basically we're, you know, like it, it, it sort of explores the idea that authoritarianism for it to, for it to uh, thrive, it needs a boogeyman. It can't have a real enemy because you can actually defeat a real enemy. It needs one that is ethereal, right? It needs an enemy that could be anywhere. It needs an enemy. It needs a boogeyman. And so it, it hints at that, but again, it could have spent so much more time with that. It only, it just barely hints at it, but it was still, you know, a cool concept to bring up. 
um, I mean, I guess that's a little redeeming, but it's just not enough, you know? And, and I don't even know how many people would really, would really pick that up. Um, because most people, yeah, maybe this movie's just made for, I don't know, 12 year olds. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe Neil Berger has just gotten into the business of making kid films. And that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm completely missing the point of this film. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just meant it's meant for kids. Uh, but then also look at the marketing and I just don't think that was meant or targeted to kids, or at least I kind of hope it wasn't, but okay. So, you know, I mean, is this going to detract me from watching future Neil Berger, uh, projects and, and films? Not really, because like I said, I mean, my, my favorite director, um, so yeah, my favorite director is Paul W.S. Anderson, you know, depending on who the audience is, I might say, all right, my favorite director is Ridley Scott. Not an interesting, I mean, Paul W.S. Anderson has played in Ridley Scott's universes many times. Uh, actually also not an interesting Neil Berger is related to Ridley Scott associates. Um, you know, he's, he's worked within, uh, you know, worked within that. Um, but Paul W.S. Anderson, I mean, and even Ridley Scott, they've made shitty films. They've made horrible films, horrible films. Pompeii is a horrible film. That's a one out of 10. Like the script isn't even good. Uh, just a shit film. I mean, terrible, but the movies, well, there's more good ones than bad. Not only that, like the ones that are good are really good. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're just great. Or they're like nothing else you've ever seen anywhere. Uh, you know, and, and, and same like with Ridley Scott, you know? Yeah. Ridley Scott can make a shitty movie, but then he can also make gladiator and he can make alien and he can make, you know, whatever else. I mean, fuck gladiator is the greatest movie ever made. It is. But then he wants to go and make gladiator too. That's dumb. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, but Brian, you just said that. Oh, you love it when movies turn into franchises. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gladiator didn't need to become a franchise. You know why? Because Gladiator inspired um, the sword and sandal epic to come back. Without Gladiator, we wouldn't have had Spartacus blood and sand. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. Spartacus, second best TV show in fucking history. Right under Babylon 5. Sits comfortably right under Babylon 5. There's nothing else like it before or since. No, 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 no. Quiet over there. Your, that HBO show or that Netflix show doesn't compare. You think that had a lot of sex? No, no, no. You go watch Spartacus, motherfucker. That, I'm telling you, that, look. <laughs> the show Spartacus, I've brought the, I've said this point many times. They made a porn parody of Spartacus Blood and Sand. The porn parody was less pornographic than the show. You get, you hear me? The porn movie. <laughs> had less going on than the show. <laughs> Don't tell me about your, your fucking HBO shows or your Netflix shows. Give me a fucking break. Anyway, that's it. We've been going over an hour. Um, yeah, this movie's horrible. Four, four out of 10 being generous. Uh, you know, it's Lord of the flies in space. Did we need that? Not like this, <laughs> not like this at all. No. Um, mm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, there's other little things I could bring up like there, 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 there's a character who it seems to be clear. She, she's meant to represent, you know, like autism and mm, watch. Well, if, if you do watch the movie, you'll see what I mean. But even that I think really kind of, kind of fails and, and was almost insulting. It just didn't, just didn't work. But I think there was an attempt there to, try and explore the, you know, future possibilities of humanity since all of these kids were genetically engineered and whatever. And uh, yeah, it just, they, they didn't go, they didn't go there and, and what they were doing just, yeah, again, it didn't work. So yeah, four out of 10 terrible film. Don't bother. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I am still excited for whatever Neil Berger uh, wants to work on next. Uh, but I will wrap up this edition of Sovereign at the Movies and, of course, many more episodes to come in the Sovereign Tech feed. Who knows what's going to show up tomorrow? And I will see all of you. Woo!
on the other side.